Trusting the Bible is a podcast series from Tyndall House Cambridge and Bible Society. Conversations with experts in biblical studies. In our first series, Trusting the Gospels, we're exploring the reliability, relevance and reality of the four gospel accounts. In this final episode, our interviewees come back together with Dr Andrew Ollerton to discuss how they each read the Gospels and how academic scholarship can raise confidence in the Gospel accounts. Well, welcome to our final podcast in this series, looking at the reliability of the Gospels in the New Testament. My name is Andrew Ollerton. I work with Bible Society. And for this final episode, I'm joined by all three of the participants that have been part of this series. We're in Tyndale House in Cambridge. All three work as researchers here in biblical studies. I'm joined by Dr. Chichu Lee, Dr. Dirk Yonkind, and Dr. Peter J. Williams. So in this final episode, we're going to wander around from the first century where we've been thinking about the details of the Gospels, how they're formed, right through to the 21st century where we sit today, thinking about how do the Gospels apply to our lives, how can we read them and have confidence in them. So we're each going to just share a few reflections on that. And I want to start, perhaps draw you in, Chichu, um, as we get going on this. We picked up in your uh, conversation around this theme of sort of persecution and hostility and I suppose one of the challenges there is working out what what do those things mean because we sit in a Western 21st century context and there is some hostility, I think, to the Christian faith and confidence in in the Gospels. But is that persecution and what what do we mean by these things? So perhaps you could share a few of your reflections on that. Right. Um, Whether we are in the first century or the 21st century, um, there are basically two kinds of opposition. One kind of opposition is um, the opponents are genuinely thinking that Christianity is no good. Um, I shared about my testimony, how my parents thought that being a Christian is superstitious. So when they opposed me, they genuinely thought that I was going the wrong way. It's just that they were misun- um, they were um, they misunderstood what the gospel is. And um, so I would say that um, and, and also when they opposed me, they did not um, physically or verbally abuse me in any way. Mm-hmm. So, which means yeah. that I won't regard those as um, persecution. So in today's world, when we think about people who oppose Christianity, we certainly need to think through why are they doing so? So sometimes they have good intentions, it's just in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes they may oppose without um, uh, causing physical or um, mental injury or harm. To people, so in those cases, I think we would need to be careful that we do not overuse the word persecution, hmm. but possibly look at it as a kind of uh, opposition because of a um, inadequate understanding of the hmm. gospel. But on the other end, there are some people who have intentional harm uh, that we that they want to impose on on Christians, and then those are the real situations where we have to say that there is indeed persecution. Mm. So whether the first century or the 21st century, um, situation is the same. Yeah, okay. So I suppose in that sense for us, I, I suppose I'm um, bringing Pete and Dirk in here, I suppose we'd reflect a little bit more on, uh, we're certainly not in this context of persecution by that definition, but maybe there is still some sort of hostility or yes. opposition to our, uh, as, as scholars, not least, in the, in the university environment. What, what sort of experiences have you had and how do the Gospels themselves, the, the teachings of Jesus, actually encourage us to be uh, following Christ through those kinds of experiences? I mean, I would say my experience has been incredibly positive. I mean, uh, in, in the sense that I, I live in one of the more comfortable countries in the world. I've been 
receive funding for studies and all sorts of things. Of course, I'm aware that there is hostility to the ideas of Christianity amongst uh, various academics, but we should remember there's hostility to all sorts of other ideas as well. And every now and then, uh, there are people who are uh, not Christians who also suffer disadvantage uh, because of their beliefs. So what I think it is wrong to do is try and paint ourselves into this sort of uh, narrative of um, uh, people who are having a harder time. Uh, one thing that strikes me as I read the Gospels is they make me uncomfortable because I'm having such an easy time. And the Gospels seem to be saying there's something wrong there when Jesus says, you know, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Uh, you know, it's a very uh, uncomfortable thing to read. And Jesus spent a lot of his time uh, speaking direct truth to those who uh, were comfortable. Mm. Uh, and so that's where I think uh, whether you are in a situation um in another culture in which you're experiencing a great deal of difficulty as a Christian, or whether uh, you're not, uh, the Gospels have something to say. Mm-hmm. So almost challenging our comforts as much as uh, comforting our our, uh, our challenges. And I think in that sense, probably uh, we would recognise, um, even as you shared, Chichu, regarding John's Gospel, that there's no fence to sit on and call, calls us out to be really clear in our faith, Yes, um, that sometimes we, we almost need that um provocation and that challenge Derek, do you have any reflections on what that's meant for you to to sort of be known as following christ within the academic world yes it's been an an interesting journey because especially here in cambridge but in many other places um where you have good uh good academy going on there is still the old-fashioned ideal that the Academy is a place where you ought to be able to discuss ideas free from fear of the king, society or the church. So where you have a group of uh, folk intellectuals together who can just bounce off uh, ideas, can bounce them around, can look at them from various angles and sort of try to improve truth. Now, that's the old-fashioned ideal, which is still very much alive, but at the same time, it is undermined. Now, that doesn't mean that there is persecution, but there is a certain element of opposition, as Chichu mentioned, and perhaps even hardship around, where the, uh, the old ideal that uh, university is no longer a marker-free marketplace of ideas. But there are strong ideological tendencies. Everything is economized now. If you can't uh, earn money with it, why would you study history or theology or biblical studies, etc.? So there is a little bit of that going on. Now, having said that, the perceived fear or the perceived danger is quite often bigger than the actual danger. So if you actually talk about the uh, historical reliability of the Gospels or about that I have confidence that we have the original wording of the Gospels in front of us, um, and you do that, and yes, I believe everything as well, Mm. to be open about those things quite often earns more respect than we think Mm. we get. Because 
people don't like bigotry in the sense of people with hidden agendas. Lay my cards on the table. I'm an evangelical. I believe those things I am researching. And I do that because they are my life as well. So almost an encouragement just to be straightforward in that sense and to um, to be straightforward about the confidence we do have in the Gospels. And that's partly what this series has been about is, if you like, raising confidence that actually through good scholarship we can have good reasons for believing that the Gospels give us an accurate historical portrayal of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to revisit that because we've been camped in the first century a little bit in our conversations thinking about the detail just just heading back there for a moment, um, recognizing that there were other accounts um, that circulated at a later stage, potentially in, in the in the uh, first and second centuries, where there were, if you like, rival accounts of the life of Jesus, other Gospels. We think particularly of the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Philip and others have been made not least prominent through things like uh, works like the Da Vinci Code. And just a few reflections. We didn't pick up on this in the earlier conversation, but a few reflections. Why do we have these four rather than others? And what basis can we have that these are the credible, authentic, authoritative accounts? If I may say something. I mean, friend and foe would agree that the four we have in the New Testament now are the only four that have some claim of going back to the first mm. century and are written by the sort of first generation of believers. So in that sense, we're bound to have those four. Internally, these four hang very well together and seem all to go back directly to apostolic authority. While if you read the Gospel of Thomas, for example, it is clearly pseudonymous. So it's written by somebody under the name. Thomas, so just to be clear, Thomas didn't write it. And, he, and as, a, as one of the followers of Jesus, but, but you, you would argue that was written sometime later by someone claiming that name uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that was inaccurate. Correct. And also, if you read the Gospel of Thomas, it says some spectacular things which go against everything you read in the Old and the New Testament. So it doesn't accord with the rest of the message. Best example is at the very end of the Gospel of Thomas, there is a conversation between Peter and Jesus. When Peter says to Jesus, Ooh, send Mary away, because women are not worthy of the kingdom. And what does Jesus answer at this point? He says, Well, I will take Mary and make her male so that she too can mm-hmm. inherit the kingdom. Now, which of those two do you go with? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a rock and a hard place, but neither option is very much in line with what you find in the whole of Scripture. So you sort of, in, in summary, you're picking up on the Gospel of Thomas and saying, actually, it wasn't written by Thomas. It was written a lot later, and there are teachings in there that just doesn't sound like Jesus as we have come to understand him in the four Gospels. Pete, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, Dirk took us to the last verse of the Gospel of Thomas. I would, I would start with the first verse where it, it says, these are the secret sayings which the living Jesus spoke and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. Now, why does he have to tell you it's the secret sayings? Because he's got to explain why no one else has heard of them before. But also it's saying, you know, all those other gospels that have been written, they're the public stuff. But I want to let you on the inside story. And the inside story was only shared to one disciple. That was to Thomas. So in other words, the, the opening verse is telling you, firstly, it's recognising that there are things that come before and that have 
being spoken in, in public. And then it's trying to say, but really, you need to come in for this hidden version. Well, if that doesn't sound fishy, I don't know what does. I mean, mm. th- so I, I think the whole thing, when you look at it, just doesn't stack up. Whereas when you read the four Gospels, there's something so simple about them, so plain, lacking a hidden agenda. They just lay forth the truth. And I would just say, you know, if anyone's questioning this, get some of these apocryphal Gospels and get the four Gospels and lay them alongside each other and read them. You mm. will see a contrast. Mm. Try it for yourself. And um, and I suppose in that sense, the... the um the conspiracy theories are just that. And actually we, in other words, our listeners can be confident you're actually reading the right books when you read the four gospels if you want to know the historic Jesus. Well, let's come through then to the to the 21st century and just consider for ourselves then. So we've got the right books on the table, if you like. The four gospels are the ones to read if we want to know the historic Jesus. And we've looked at the evidence for that. But then as we open those and we think about engaging with them at a personal level, do you have any sort of tips or um, experience that you've drawn on about how to get um, the most out of the Gospels, how to personally experience them? Anything that uh, practical, potentially, as well as um, as well as theoretical? Well, probably on the back of what we've just been saying, there is no secret method to getting the most out of the Gospels. It is not that scholars have a special type of knowledge that nobody else has and therefore you should pay attention more to the scholars than to actually reading the uh, the gospels themselves so that first it is a very democratic way in its old-fashioned sense that the gospels are there for everyone and they are not the privilege of the scholar themselves mm-hmm. i mean scholars may have mm. some insight here and there which can be very beneficial but that is why we are part of a living community. The church is not a kind of a combination of individuals. It's a community, people who talk with one another, who share one another's life, and who share their insights as well. Hmm. So that would be my, my starting off Thanks point, to, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, for myself, reading the Gospels, it's a very special experience because it, they are not just historic uh, historical records of uh, what happened in the past, but something that we can really experience it in our lives. So, for example, um, we mentioned earlier in, in my um, testimony that um, there were times uh, when I have to face the fear of telling my parents I want to go to church, you know. But Jesus promises the peace, and I really experienced the peace. And he promises the strength to endure and persevere despite that opposition. And I really experienced it. And I know that it is not what I can do, or I'm so good, I'm so strong, but actually it's the reverse. It's because without the Lord's um, empowerment, I don't think I can do it. I will buckle under. Hmm. And Chi Chi, for you, it was reading the gospel. Was it the gospel of Mark that you read when you were... Uh, actually, as a skeptic, not not wanting to believe it, but wanting to disprove others who believed it. So yes. I presume reading the Gospels, uh, how many years on it is since then, you, you know, you've been on a journey of further discovery through research, but that must still remain almost quite a quite a precious uh, memory for you. And, and the Gospels are your journey to faith. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, I still love to read the Gospel of Mark, and I'm delighted that I'm not the only one who reads the Gospel of Mark the first time and then, because of his message, believe in Jesus. I had a missionary friend who worked in 
um, and one of the um, um, Asian countries where um, there, there was a copy of a translated Gospel of Mark lying in the backyard. And, and this alcoholic who was drunk came in one evening and the next morning when he came around, read the Gospel of Mark and was totally transformed. And he yeah. began preaching from that translated Gospel of Mark. And everybody in the village was just amazed. What happened to this drunkard? Mm. And he became the first pastor of that local church there. Mm. So this is how alive and how transformative mm. the Gospel can be. Yeah, great. And obviously, um, when we talk about reading the Gospels, we're presuming that we, you know, we're individuals with a text in front of us reading them. But obviously, when they were first written, they would have been written perhaps to be to be read and to be heard by uh, by audiences who didn't have a personal copy themselves. Do any of us uh, find it helpful to listen to the Gospel um, as opposed to Pete? You're nodding. Any? Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I love to read it from a book, but also um, listen to it. Uh, I often do it. In fact, I sometimes play it overnight if I have difficulty sleeping, you know, and sometimes wake up a few chapters later. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, I, I I love uh, the audio, and of course, it's it's an amazing moment we live in when we have so much access to uh, audio of of the gospels and yes it's really good i think you notice new things as you listen to it read out loud in a way that perhaps you don't if you do silent reading um so I, i'd certainly find that a very encouraging thing and of course the the message is one that you need to go over again and again it's it can be read at a surface level like almost infinite depth because you think about a message about someone who goes to a cross for us and calls us to follow him um, that can never not be challenging there's never a position in our life when we don't have things to learn from uh, this message so that that means that we can meditate on it and we can always learn so listening audibly to it is part of your way of absolutely yeah. keeping it yeah. fresh and Keeping it, keeping it. Living. I mean, I like to vary. You know, the speed at which I read, the, the uh, ways in which I read, and, and audio is one of those methods. What about? I mean, because one of the things we often do is read the Gospels or read any part of Scripture in very short chunks, relatively. But there's something amazing about reading the Gospel through in one sitting, isn't there? Do any of you do that occasionally? I must. Admit, I, I read Matthew's Gospel through in one sitting quite recently. It was just. It was almost that pace that you then uh, that you get and the vision that you get. How completely unmanageable Jesus is in the, in, this, in the right sense as the Son of God. You know, there's nothing that can uh, you can't constrain him, or, and, and and it all came through in a fresh way just by experiencing it in one sitting. Is that something that you recommend to our listeners, or have have a go at? I was fortunate enough that somebody gave me a reader's edition of an English translation. So an edition without chapter numbers, without verse numbers, just laid out mm. as any normal novel. And that was tremendously helpful because it's much more infectious to continue to go, no, to continue read and on and on and on. Because you're not bound by those artificial chapters or verses, but you read it as a story. Mm. So that's been for me very helpful. Mm. Well, maybe for our listeners, that could be a sort of next step from because we've been talking about why we can have confidence in it. But of course, that's only to ultimately lead us to experience it, isn't it, for ourselves any other tips that you would have as, as people think, right, I want to really get, get a bit deeper into the Gospels particular. My confidence has been raised, but I want to study and investigate uh, for myself a bit more. Are there any resources or approaches that you can recommend? Um, we've got, obviously got Pete's book, which I'd highly recommend, Can We Trust the Gospels? But as we think about getting into the actual text themselves, are there any things that have been helpful for you in, in, on your journeys? 
Um, I think that is also another habit perhaps we will need to challenge ourselves to change, as in to read all the four Gospels and try to merge them together to find where is the historical Jesus. Um, by doing so, um, there is a reason for doing such studies when we want to reconstruct a possible um, um, scenario in the past. But by doing that, we very often miss out the distinctive of each gospel writer, the storyline that they want to bring across. Um, so I would suggest, other than reading it as a whole, try to read it as if we don't know the other gospels. Mm-hmm. And it will come across fresh. Mm. Then we realize that, oh, this is something special that Matthew wants to say that nobody else is, is saying or something like that. Mm. Yes. And sometimes those comparison points can be interesting as well, though, can't they? So, yes. so sometimes reading it in that, in that individual sense and then also noting the differences can be illuminating. I suppose you sort of think about the Beatitudes as one example where... Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel highlight slightly different nuances, maybe. And back to what we talked about with you, Pete, perhaps that was just because there were different tellings of uh, by Jesus of those. But how do those differences, how can we almost unpack those differences in a rich way? Well, I think studying the gospels um, individually and together is a lifelong project. I mean, it's just vast. Um, I mean, even just at, at the mental level, it's vast because there's more detail than any of us can take in when you start comparing and contrasting and then even within an individual gospel looking at how one episode follows another and what do we learn from the order of this what do we do with with say luke fourteen twenty six, where jesus says you know whoever doesn't uh, hate his father and mother uh you know cannot be by disciple which comes just bef- you know shortly before the parable of the two sons and this wonderful father uh, son relationship and it's seeing these two things next to each other and, and and contemplating what this means and i think these this is happening all the time things that sit next to each other in gospels just a phenomenal sometimes by their contrast and it's the contrast that that leads you in so i think it's a lifelong habit and it's the habit of reading it praying to god uh, to speak to you to teach you to show um, show you what you should do, sh- show you more uh, of himself through Jesus Christ. I, mm. I think this is, it's its not something you can say, oh, I'm going to blitz this year and then I've done it. No, mm. it's, it's something that's going to go on through your whole, whole life. Mm. Very good. Well, listen, you've all helped us. Thank you so much for bringing in the detail that's actually helped to raise our confidence in the Gospels. And I think our encouragement for ourselves and our listeners is to um, realise it's a great privilege, isn't it, to actually own a copy of each of these Gospels. We take that for granted sometimes, but there are people around the world, as we've th- thought about some persecuted contexts, who would love to get their hands on the Gospels. We have it. Uh, let's make sure we read it and enjoy it. So thanks very much for joining us, Pete and Chichu and Dirk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Trusting the Bible is a collaboration between Tyndale House Cambridge and Bible Society. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to catch the rest of the conversation. If you'd like to know more about what we do, visit us online at tinderhouse.com or biblesociety.org.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series, so do get in touch, either on Twitter at Tyndale underscore house or email us, communications at tyndalehouse.com.